hope I got this guy. Okay. Well, if you want to take your Bible and open it up to the 10th chapter of John, the Gospel according to John. John, the 10th chapter. I might just say, while you're turning to this 10th chapter of John, that uh, I, uh, I've been, for some time now, I guess I could say just really fascinated by John chapter 10. Uh, we, uh, we spent a rather lengthy time in the 10th chapter of John uh, in the Bible study with the seniors, didn't we, Carolyn? And uh, I know we spent probably two months and, and maybe more. I don't even know for sure. <clears throat> and we could have spent a lot longer than that, I think, uh, because there just doesn't seem to be any end to what you can draw from John chapter 10. There's just so much here, uh, so much that I just keep myself coming back to it time and time again because I find that every time I come to the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to John and begin to read, I find something there that really speaks to my heart and meets a need in my life. Uh, There is so much uh, in this Gospel account And especially in the 10th chapter here of John, it contains so much that is vital to our understanding, I believe, as to what the the Christian life is uh, is really about and and what's involved in the beginning of the Christian life and as the Christian life uh, continues as we grow and as we follow the Lord. And uh, so I do just keep coming back to it and, and keep coming back to it and, and never cease to be blessed each time that I do. So, But if you want to look with me here in John chapter 10 uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to uh, speak on the subject of uh, a threefold assurance of salvation. A threefold assurance of salvation. Look with me now in John chapter 10. I want to begin reading with verse 22. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but we're not going to take time to do that. Uh, Begin with verse 22, read down through verse 30 here in John chapter 10. Verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long do you make us to doubt? If you be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Well, let's pray, can we? Our dear Father, we just want to bow for just this moment to say thank you. Thank you for the portion of your word that we just read, for what it speaks to our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we might, as we spend a little time here this morning, that we might hear you speak to us through this portion of your word, that you might make it effectual in each of our hearts, in each of our lives, and that it might accomplish uh, your purpose within us to make us understanding, to make us more of what you'd have us to be, to accomplish that in our lives, which would bring honor and glory to your name. Father, thank you again. Your will be done now as we consider your word together. All of this we ask in the name of our Savior, our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, uh, our subject, if you recall, confronted the problem that we all struggle with. You remember? Uh, namely, sin. And we all struggle with that, don't we? Uh, and not only sin, but the sin nature. Our sin nature from which sin so profusely flows. And it does, doesn't it? Sometimes it just seems like sin just gushes forth out of our old sinful nature. And we struggle with it. And so we, uh, we looked at this and we confronted this subject from the Scripture last week. And if you remember, the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, uh, gave us the answer, at least I believe, to this problem last week as we uh, looked at the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Uh, and uh, the answer that the Spirit of God gave us through the Apostle Paul to this problem uh, in order that we might be victorious over it was the fact that we are in Christ. God placed us there, didn't He? God put us in Christ. That fact has got to be settled in our hearts, in our understanding, in our thoughts, and we have got to live our lives consciously aware of the fact that we are in Christ. 
baptized into Christ. And that baptized there, as I said last week, has nothing to do with water. We are immersed into Christ. Immersed into Christ. So much so that when Christ went to the cross, who went with him? I went with him. My old sin nature went with him. When Christ died upon the cross, what happened to my old sin nature? Died with him. When Christ was buried in the tomb, where'd my old sin nature go? In the tomb. Oh, but when Christ rose from the grave, hmm. new life. New life I was given to live before God. Therefore, the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or as we says in his word studies, we are to continue, continue, constantly, thinking upon the fact, considering the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to God because we're in Christ. I, if we could just get that settled, victory, would be ours. Victory over sin. Well, we want to move on to something else this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at another problem. Another problem that we all have. This time we're going to be looking at a particular sin. Not sin in general, but a particular sin. And the particular sin we're going to be looking at is the sin of doubt. The sin of doubt. Now some may not think that's such a terrible sin, but doubt, doubt is unbelief. That's what doubt is. It's unbelief. Unbelief. And I want you to, well you might want to just turn there with me. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. The letter to the Hebrews, third chapter. We'll hear what the apostle has to say about this matter of unbelief. The third chapter of Hebrews. Verse 12. The apostle here says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be 
in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And the sin that he's talking about here is that sin of unbelief. Doubting. Doubting God. Doubting the Word of God. Doubting the truthfulness of God. Doubting the promises of God. Doubt. Unbelief. Perhaps you'll recall that James says, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, but let him ask in faith. For if any man doubts, he says, let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He says, a a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This matter of doubt is not not good. It's unbelief. It's sin. Well, we're going to get a little bit more specific this morning, though, than just doubt. in order that we might stay within the context of our actual text here in John chapter 10, we're going to consider the sin of doubting our salvation. Doubting our salvation. Or the security of our salvation. Anybody here ever struggle with that sin? I suspect there's none of us here who haven't. It's a natural thing. One of the things that Satan loves to do create doubt in our minds about our security. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? Do I really know the Lord? We've all faced that perhaps many times. Well, if there's anything that can get you Discouraged and down. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. Well, if if that be the case, if that be the case, then I would ask you, listen. Listen to what our Good Shepherd has to say. Did you hear as we read it a few minutes ago? Let's go back and listen to it again. Begin verse 27. We read that in these last four verses, verse 27 through verse 30. Listen to what he has to say. Listen closely. 
He says, my sheep, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. These words declare the absolute and irrefutable eternal security of God's people, of the Good Shepherd's sheep. Let me say that again. These words that I just read, that the Good Shepherd spoke, they declare the irrefutable, eternal security of God's people. Make no mistake about it. The Word of God teaches both the perseverance of the saints and the preservation uh, of the saints in Christ. The Apostle Paul, well, let's, let's look at it in Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians. Paul's letter to the church at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, 22. Paul said, And you that were sometime or being in time past alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable or without blemish and unreprovable in His sight. If you continue in the faith, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherever I, Paul, am made a minister. That makes it quite clear, doesn't it, that uh, the saints are to persevere. If you continue, you've got to continue in the faith. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying. You've got to continue in the faith. Back in Hebrews again, the third chapter, Third chapter of Hebrews, verse 6. The apostle says, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we if, there that word is again, if 
we hold fast the confidence or our boldness and the rejoicing of our hope firm unto the end. If we do this, if we hold it fast. If we hold it fast. Verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. If. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Words in the, in the Word of God that make it quite clear that, that the believer has got to persevere. You've got to persevere. You've got to hang in there. You've got to press on. Those who are born of God must and, and shall persevere unto the very end. They will continue in the faith. The true believer begins in his life in the faith. He, uh, he lives by faith. And he'll die in faith. Those, those who forsake Christ never really knew Christ. If you forsake Christ, you never really knew Christ. Those who depart from the gospel never really knew the power of the gospel. Remember the Apostle Paul talked about the power of the gospel in Romans 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. Well, if somebody departs from that gospel... It's because they never really knew that. Never really knew the power of the gospel. And never really believed it. Those who fall away were never really in the way. John wrote in his first epistle in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. They left because they weren't a part of us to begin with. That's what John is saying. They left us because they were not of us to begin with. All true believers will persevere in grace to the very end. Why is it that they do that? Why is it with all the struggle, with all the difficulty, why is it that they are able to persevere unto the end. Well, the perseverance of a believer is a direct result of their preservation in Christ by His omnipotent power and grace. That's why. Yes, the believer must persevere. But he can only persevere because he's preserved by the power of Christ that's promised, that's guaranteed, that's assured by the Word of God. And rest assured, rest assured, not one, not one of his sheep 
shall perish. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said? They shall never perish. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Well, I want us to look a little closer here in John 10, especially at these verses where our text is found, verse 27 and following. Let's look a little closer at these. And I want us to see in these verses, if we can, in the time remaining, three things that assure, even guarantee the salvation, the eternal security or salvation of his sheep. Three things that assure uh, and guarantee the salvation of his sheep. Uh, let me just tell you up front what those three things are. It's the Good Shepherd's declaration. It's the Good Shepherd's gift. And it's the Good Shepherd's promise. They're all very clear here in these verses. Well, let's quickly take a look at them. The Good Shepherd's declaration first. What's he declare? Look with me at verse 27. How's he begin? My sheep. My sheep. He declares that they are his sheep. He calls them my sheep. My sheep. Why are they his sheep? Why are they his sheep? How can he call them his sheep? Well, in the first place, they are his sheep because in the eternal counsel of the triune Godhead, before time began, before anything was except for the fact that God was, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in eternity past. God the Father set His love upon a people that didn't even exist at the time, except in the mind of God. But He set His love upon a people. He chose them. He set His love upon a people. And He gave them to His Son. He gave them to His Son. even mentions that there in verse 29, didn't it? My Father which gave them me. Gave them to His Son. And the Son received them unto Himself. Oh, if we had time, we'd look at the many times the Lord Jesus talked about the fact that the Father gave them to Him. Well, let's, let's just go back to John chapter 6 real quick. And look at a few of these times. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 37. I'm going to have to hurry, I think, if I'm going to get through this. Uh, verse 37 of John 6. Jesus said, All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose none, but that 
I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Uh, well, let's turn now to the 17th chapter of John. This is that great high priestly prayer, intercessory prayer uh, of the Lord Jesus. And oh, so many times in this prayer, He talks about those that the Father gave Him. Uh, in verse uh, verse 1, He says, uh, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power or authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as You have given Him. Well, we will not take time, but if you were to read through the rest of John chapter 17, you'd find him just time after time after time talking about the ones the Father gave him. They are his sheep. And he can call them his sheep because the Father gave them to him before time began. I'm so glad I'm one of that number. Aren't you? Aren't you? His sheep. His sheep. It's interesting that a distinction is made when he calls them his sheep as well. Because if there are some that are his sheep, there's evidently some that are not. His sheep as well. Isn't that right? If we look back here just a few verses, even in our text, in verse 26, Jesus is talking to these Jews. Well, let's back up to verse 25 where Jesus is answering them where they said, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He said in verse 25, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep. You're not of my sheep. Well, if they're not of his sheep, what are they? Well, if we went back to Matthew chapter 25, we'd see a parable there where Jesus is talking about uh, the very judgment time when judgment comes and all the nations are gathered together and a, a great division is made. And he puts what? On one side he puts the sheep, and what's he put on the other side? The goats. And the sheep he invites to enter into his presence for all of eternity, doesn't he? But what happens to the goats? Don't even like to think about it. Don't even like to think about it. Hell awaits the goats. But a distinction is made. Well, some say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Who are we to tell God He's not fair? Just like Paul says in Romans, doesn't a potter have the right to take the lump of clay and make one vessel for honor and another vessel for dishonor? What's the clay? Nothing. What are we? Nothing. It's nothing but sheer grace. 
sheer grace, unmerited favor that makes one one of the sheep. The mere grace of God before time began that God chose his sheep out of the mass of sinful humanity. and gave them to his son. And the good shepherd calls them his sheep. My sheep. My sheep. And so they're declared to be his sheep because the father gave them to him. But they're also his sheep because He made them. Isn't he the creator of all things? John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Word, the eternal Word, that's the second person of the Godhead, that's the Good Shepherd, that's Jesus. He created everything. Everything. What he made belongs to him to do with as he will. His sheep. His sheep. He created them for himself. For himself. Oh, but his sheep were rebellious, rebelled against him, sinned, sold under sin. So, what did he do? Sacrificed himself to redeem them, to pay the price for them. Shed his blood for them. Peter says, You were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, without spot, without blemish. Redeemed. He bought us, he purchased us. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have of God, and you're not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. A purchased possession. He paid for us with His own life, with His own shed blood. Purchased us. His sheep. His sheep, no doubt about whose sheep we are. Given to him by the Father, created by himself, redeemed by his own blood, shed, shed for us. Oh my. Very quickly, I'm going to have to hurry. Let's look at the shepherd's gift. The shepherd's gift. 
Paul wrote to the church at Rome in the sixth chapter, he said, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what's he say here in our text? Verse 28. After saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, he says, and I give them eternal life. Eternal life. Hmm. Eternal life comes and it comes as a matter of God's free and unmerited grace. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not purchased by anyone else. You can't pay for it. You can't bargain for it. It's a gift from Him. He says, I give unto them eternal life. It's not ours by nature. You know what's ours by nature? Not life, but death. We come into this world dead. Spiritually dead to God. The word give removes any possibility that eternal life comes to men as a reward. And just as that's the case, there's also nothing in the believer's heart or conduct to cause God to take away His gift of eternal life. We read in the book of Romans that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Without repentance. What God gives, He doesn't take away. Doesn't take away. Man's merit doesn't even enter the picture, does it? And then enter the picture. It's all based upon the merit of Christ. The merit of Christ. Well, very quickly, let's look at the last thing then. God, the, the Good Shepherd's promise. The Good Shepherd's promise. So much more we could have said about eternal life. Just stop and think about the word eternal for just a minute before we look at the promise. How can the word eternal mean anything but eternal? How can some twist that to, to make it say temporary? Here today and gone tomorrow. Eternal. That's forever. You can't have it today and it be gone tomorrow. It is everlasting. Well, the Good Shepherd's promise. The Good Shepherd's promise. After giving his sheep eternal life, he makes them a promise. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. Boy. Here our Lord makes an unconditional promise. 
He says concerning all of his sheep, I give them eternal life. And because they're my sheep, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. By the way, this, this promise is not just for some of the flock. It's for all of them. Every last one of the sheep are included in this promise. None shall perish. None shall perish. Someone, I, and I, don't, I don't recall who this was, but I, I wrote this down because I thought it was fascinating to me, interesting. may have been Don Fortner, I don't remember, but uh, someone may ask, he said, what if they are babes in Christ and their faith is weak? They shall never perish. What if they're young men in Christ and, uh, and their passions are strong? They shall never perish. What if they're old men and their vision grows dim? They shall never perish. What if they are tempted? They shall never perish. What if they face grave trial? They shall never perish. What if the devil unleashes his dominion or his minions and all hell breaks loose against them. They shall never perish. What if they sin? They shall never perish. They have an advocate with the Father. What if they sin again? They still have an advocate with the Father. They shall never perish. What if they fall? They shall never perish. What if they fall seven times? They shall never perish. What if they fall seven times seven? They shall never perish. What if they fall 70 times 7? They shall never perish. Not even one. Not even one. Of Christ's flock will perish ever. If you're a believer, if you trust the Lord Jesus, if He has given you eternal life, you will never perish in sin. 
Christ himself, the Son of God, the Good Shepherd, has promised it. It's impossible for a true believer to sin away the grace of God bestowed upon them in Christ. Impossible. Now that almost beyond understanding, isn't it? That's the grace of God. Just listen. Just listen to what John writes in 1 John. We'll close with this. First John chapter 1. Those unknown callers are always causing problems. First John chapter 1, verse 8. John says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin. You know what that word propitiation means? Satisfaction. He is the one who has satisfied God on our behalf for our sin. Past, present, and future. Oh, how humbling that fact should be. A threefold assurance of eternal salvation. What God gives you by His grace can't be taken from you, can't be lost, can't be stolen, can't be forfeited. It's eternal. It's forever. That doesn't that doesn't give you the right to be careless 
gives you the reason to live for His honor and for His glory by His grace because of who He is and what He's done for you. May God help us. Let's pray.